ingin. Encunaldo niño y falta otro sayón. Nishkatovat. Nishkatovat. Está ocupado en Nicola. Amaya. Ese porchado no está. Mira y va a ver a tu de la encunaldo. ¿Y usted eso qué? ¡Gracias! Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of Fresh Cuts. I am Mike, and welcome my regular co-host, Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, Spanish vampires. Or should I say, bienvenidos, vampiros. Um, I, I've had better days, Mike, but honestly, um, not everything is bad in my life right now. I got my new standing desk, which is awesome. I've Literally, since day one of podcasting, I've, I've kind of wanted to podcast standing up. And now I actually get to. So that, that at least puts me in a pretty good mood. So, you know, it, it's not all bad in Mr. Venom land right now. <laughs> Just dealing with a little bit of pain, but uh, I've dealt with pain before, so no biggie. <laughs> cool, cool. All right, uh, then I will get to the next co-host joining. It's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, what's going on? Um, apparently, I'm not dying like Venom, but um, I'm doing good. <laughs> <laughs> We're all dying. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is uh, part one of our Super Bowl hangover. Uh, with this oh. episode of Fresh Cuts. Wait, that was Part yesterday? two of it'll be Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> there was a football game yesterday, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yes, there was. <laughs> um, okay, but we will... We'll, we'll save the um, unrelated sports talk for No More Room in Hell Sunday. So there you go. <laughs> we'll just get right into our movie. And this For this time, uh, we are doing a movie called All the Moons, or at least that's the English title. It is streaming on Shudder. Venom, uh, I will give you the honor of pronouncing the original title if you have it in front of you. I have it in front of me, but this movie is not in Spanish. Um, this movie is actually in Basque. And for people who don't know, Basque is a language that's spoken in the Basque region, which is a region of northern Spain, right near the southwestern tip of France, right where Spain and France kind of uh, their borders meet. And the thing about Basque is that it's considered in lang a language isolate. And what that means is that the Basque language is based or related to no other language on the planet. Um, mm. As most people know, languages are based on like Roman or Latin or something like that. Like most languages, you can trace their roots. Uh, the Basque language is a completely original language that no one outside of the Basque region either speaks or understands, at least for the most part. I'm sure there's exceptions. So, yeah. So my best guess at the title for this movie is Ilargi Gustiak. 
Um, and which doesn't sound Spanish to me in the slightest. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. Not picking, I'm not picking up Latin roots on that at all. No. <laughs> yeah, and given that this is somewhat of a period piece, is that is the that region still speaking it to this yes, day? Yes, yes, the Basque, the Basque region is still there. They still speak it. Um, it, it was it was more prominent in, during this time, like the 50 year stretch of this movie or 60 years, actually, that that this movie kind of encompasses. Um, but it absolutely still exists. And man, I, I should have actually looked up some videos to see speak people like modern day people speaking it just to see if it sounds the same as in the movie, because, you know, potentially they, they could have uh, done some research and, and had like a version of the Basque language mm -hmm. that's from the 1800s. But Unfortunately, since I've been dealing with uh, some pretty nasty pain, I'm just going to I'm just going to say, uh, yeah, still exists. <laughs> I did look it up and the country is still there. It's it's not a literal country. It is a region of Spain. So it's not its own standalone country. It's it's called the Basque country, but it's it takes up a, a small part of northern Spain and southwestern France. So there you go. OK. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we will get into the movie then. And it uh, on IMDb, the synopsis goes as follows. In late 19th century, a little girl hurt by a bomb at the end of the third Carly swore is saved by a woman who brings her the eternal life, the eternal life. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, I guess we will get right into general thoughts then. So, Venom, what did you think of All the Moons? This was an interesting movie. It's it's not a very action-packed movie. It's solidly a vampire movie, but it's definitely kind of taking a different look at the vampire mythos. Um, because, you know, we're following a 10-year-old girl who was kind of turned into a vampire to save her life. We'll get into that when we get to the walkthrough. But, um and she doesn't really understand what's happening to her. I mean, it's not likely that a 10-year-old girl in 1876 is uh, very uh, averse in vampire lore. So, you know, it, it, it definitely comes off like she's not very understanding of what's happening to her. So it, it is a very slow-paced movie. That'll be the first warning I give uh, people that might think about checking this movie out. It is an hour and 40 minutes, and it feels like an hour and 40 minutes. It is a very slow-paced film. You get a little bit of action right at the end, and I mean a little bit. Um, it's definitely very dramatic. It's very much a dramatic film. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a character study at all, even though the film does follow our main girl, um, who's, oh, Amia um, is her name. And we're not even sure if that's her real name. That's the name that her adoptive father gives her, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, so basically, we're following Amia through about 60 years of her life, uh, the 60 years after she is uh, turned into a vampire. And of course, she doesn't grow as, you know, is standard in vampire lore. She looks like a 10 year old girl the entire 60 years while everyone around her is aging normally, um, which adds, like I said, a little bit more of the drama to the film to actually see this little 10 year old girl who's actually 60 um, you know, weeping for, you know, the humans that she loves who have passed away and things like that. And then getting some sort of revenge at the end of the film, if you will. Uh, once again, we'll save that for later on. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, it's a beautiful film as far as its filmmaking goes. It's very uh, gray, very drab. It definitely makes you feel like you're in a war-torn country. 
Uh, the film actually starts and ends with a war. Uh, the film starts with the Third Carlist War in uh, 1876, and then it actually ends with the beginning of the Spanish Civil War in 1936. So you've got a nice 60-year stretch there uh, that we're following uh, Amaya's kind of uh, little misadventures, if you will. But like I said, folks, very slow-paced, very dramatic. But if you can appreciate good performances, I think... Um, uh, the actress, oh God, whose name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce, uh, the girl who played Amia just, uh, I, I think she did a great job. She's, you know, very, she's really good at expressing emotion with just facial expressions. Um, in fact, there's probably a good 10 to 20 minute stretch in this film that she doesn't speak at all after her quote unquote adoptive father kind of finds her in a, in a bear trap that he had set. So, like I said, it's very slow, um, very much a look at war-torn Spain in late eight, uh, the late 19th century, early 20th century. If that sounds like something that appeals to you, which it definitely does to me. I'm not going to say that this is going to be one of my favorite films of the year. It definitely will not. I did enjoy it. Um, it's not anything that I can really praise for its horror elements. Uh, like I said, it's it's very much a drama um, IMDb even calls it a drama fantasy, and I will absolutely agree with that. There's very little actual horror in this film, but despite all of that, I think there are some things that horror fans can take out of this. Um, I just don't think a lot of genre fans are going to walk away from this saying, oh, this was great. You know, this is something that's going to, you know, potentially be in my top 10 at the end of the year. But there's still a lot of quality to this film, uh, mostly with its filmmaking and its hit uh, its performances. So, yeah. Thumbs up from me. Um, I Like I said, I, I am a Spaniard. I love Spanish horror. Um, you know, I saw a lot of similarities between this and The Wasteland, which is another Spanish horror film that we looked at earlier this year. That is very much kind of a metaphor for the horrors of war. So um, it seems to be a theme <laughs> that we're getting, which, which I am not complaining, mind you. But like I said... Um, hardcore genre fans maybe might not gravitate to these types of films, but overall I enjoyed it. And if you're a fan of Spanish language and if you're a fan of kind of outside of the box vampire stories, then I would say this is a good one to check out. It's on shutter. So if you got access to shutter, you know, it's not going to cost you anything. And like I said, it's a very well-made film. So yeah, that's it for me for uh, general thoughts. All right, uh, let's go over to Don for thoughts on the movie. What did you think, Don? Uh, so I was uh, actually kind of surprised at this. Um, I had a lot more fun with it than I thought I would, uh, generally, because um, I will probably answer this as uh, the $64,000 question. I, I don't consider this a horror film at all. Um, a little too slow-paced for me and not, you know, enough vampire action. Um Actually, it, it kind of almost reminded me a lot of Pan's Labyrinth uh, in a certain sense. Um, not, yeah, I, I think Pan's Labyrinth is probably a better made film, and it, it touches on the genre just a little bit more. But um, I, I noticed a lot of uh, similarities here, a lot of, you know, parables of war and a lot of uh, real life uh, intruding in on the film that feels a lot more like a genre film than what actually transpires here. Since a, a lot of what, you know, uh, what, what was the name of the girl again? Amia. Amia. Okay. A lot of what she goes through is more coming of age and a lot more like, you know, being, 
being exposed to these elements even as a vampire rather than, you know, drinking blood or, you know, feasting on humans, which is a lot more of what a traditional vampire film is going to touch on. Um, I'm almost even surprised thinking back on it now. I don't even think she actually drinks anyone. I, I, I think it's the other girl that because I, I know she turns Amya, but other than that, I don't actually remember anyone actually drinking anyone. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I'll, I think that probably right there will turn off a lot of traditional vampire fans and that, um, you know, the only one that actually the only one that actually drinks blood is the one that turns the girl that turns the main character into the vampire to begin with. So um, if you're looking for that, um, I would steer clear of it. Um, if you're looking for uh, drama fantasy, I, I do agree with the assessment that that's sort of where this movie lies. Um, in that Pan's Labyrinth kind of a mode, I would definitely recommend this one. But uh, even still, I, I didn't mind it. I, I I do agree it's well made. I do like a lot of uh, the way it looks. Uh, the atmosphere feels a lot, feels really real, like lived in and very realistic, I would imagine, for the time period. Um but yeah, uh, I mean, my main criticism, it's not really much of a horror film. I, I doubt I would have watched this if we weren't doing this for the show. But um, yeah, I, I can't say it's going to be a great film for everyone. or It's going to be something that they're going to be wanting to look at. But, you know, we touched on Pan's Labyrinth. If, I think that's, you know, a very, a very apt comparison, you know. They, they, they both deal with the same issues. Um, I, I don't remember time periods, but I think there is probably some overlap just knowing what I know about knowing about, the, you know, what went on in Spanish history, which is admittedly very little. But, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, consider me more impressed than I than I usually am for these kinds of films, but uh, not necessarily one that I'm going to say is a true genre film. So mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll I'll probably just leave it at that because i i don't have much else on it you talked about um how it reminded you of a little bit of pan's labyrinth i actually have here in my notes how much it reminded me of both titan and let the right one in in specific scenes mind you maybe not the whole thing but um you know titan you've got an older gentleman who lost a child who takes in another child to kind of replace that one so i mean that's very much a parallel in this one yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have made it since I haven't seen Tatane, but oh, um, gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have made that one, but um, since you said let the right one in, I no, I, I definitely agree. Um, vampire relationship, uh, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. I can see the parables now that you said it. I mean, I was just going for general atmosphere and like the storytelling aspects with yeah. Pan's Labyrinth, but no, you say let the right one in. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that specific scene when she's walking around, like after after that day at church when she's actually walking around with her little friend. Oh, uh, fr- yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That, that just rubbed me as let the right one in completely. Oh, yeah. No, I can definitely see um, Eli. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see that as like one of the scenes of Eli running around in the the tr- in the courtyard of the, the town square. Yep, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, you say that now, I can see it. But, um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Pan's Labyrinth meets Let the Right One In. Yeah, I'm I'm good with that. <laughs> Two great movies. Yeah, not a problem there. All right, Mike, what do you got? Yeah, Mike, your turn. So, yeah, going into general thoughts, I was actually kind of most interested to see what Don would have to say about it, because while I quite like the movie, it it comes off 
as a movie to me that might not satisfy the horror appetites of you know a good section of the horror community and uh so i'm actually kind of surprised in a good way that don liked it like you know more than i thought he would um but uh, you know generally speaking yeah i i like this story here I feel like it's one of those movies where it gives us just enough vampire stuff to, you know, we we get little reminders thrown in throughout the story that like yeah, yes, I, a vampire. I, I think that's kind of what kept me going was there's just enough hints. I mean, you know, yeah, it's probably gonna we're gonna talk about it in the walkthrough, but yeah, there was just enough that kept me going where it's like, all right, so where's the massacre? Where's, you know, the two of them are going to, you know, she's going to teach her how to be a vampire by slaughtering like a bar or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I was waiting for something like that and it, you know, teased me just enough to where I was like, all right, now is this the massacre scene? Is this the massacre scene? And, but yeah, I'm a, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of the, I, I think a lot of the running time of the movie was just her as what a 10 year old girl, just trying to, figure out survival out there you know and she would run into different uh scenarios where she would have like a care care somewhat of a caretaker a guardian along the way in different um aspects but really uh at a certain point it's it's kind of her fending out there for herself and just figuring things out and i don't know it's it to me it's one of those movies it, it could be a tough sell for certain people just because of i would say the horror the classic horror elements are a little less prevalent there but i still think at the end of the day it's a good story well acted i like the characters and um i thought it wrapped up pretty well you know there was a pretty touching scene close to the very end of the movie that you know we can get into once we hit spoilers but overall i thought it was a pretty well-made movie and uh spanish horror still well somewhat spanish horror i guess <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Bath> still, <laughs> yeah bass horror it's uh still churning out good ones still yeah. impressed so yeah i mean it is, i it, guess it is still it, a, technically we can still call it a spanish horror film it is a spanish production they mm-hmm. just decided to to you know film it uh based in the basque region so i mean I'm not necessarily faulting the decision. Uh, I'm wondering why they would go with such a isolated language to use for what looks like a pretty decent budget movie, not ultra high by any stretch, but I mean, it's well shot, well put together. Um, Yeah. But the decision to go with Basque, that's a risky one, but you know, maybe it could have just been the directors from there and he just chose something that he was familiar with. Uh, Possibly. I mean, the director does have a Spanish name, Igor, Legarata, Legareta, excuse me. So, I mean, he does have a Spanish name, but it doesn't mean he doesn't have any Basque in his family. Um, he could still be from northern Spain or something like that. So, yeah, absolutely. I can see that. Yeah, just, you know, throwing a, you know, most likely explanation is probably the right one. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but overall, yeah, I thought it was a pretty strong movie. Liked it a lot. And, yeah, there was uh, some really cool imagery in here, too. I, I especially one of the shots that I really liked in this movie was when her little friend knocked over that beehive and the bees would all part the Red Sea for her. They would mm-hmm. all avoid her. I thought that was cool. Like, we've never seen that before. Bees avoiding a vampire. Uh, like, like, how the fuck would those bees even know 
But obviously they have some kind of sixth sense or whatever that basically tells them, no, that blood's no good or it's not even worth stinging that person. So just leave. I, th- I just thought that was a really cool shot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was that was definitely just a good imagery. Like the whole way it was shot yeah, was exactly. pretty cool, especially once you kind of pick up on what's going on with the bees parting. That was really cool. Yeah. And even, um, even I like the, the dialogue yeah. that followed that scene where she asks her little boyfriend, you know, are are you like the bees? And then he mm-hmm. never really gives her an answer until, what, 30 years later. But that that's that's uh, that's for afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also I, I appreciate how she's trying to navigate and figure out exactly what's going on with her. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I think from the time that she's kind of saved from, you know, her injuries or I, I guess you could say likely death i i think was what was applied that uh you know no one really just comes out a hundred percent just says what's going on it's it's implied there's obviously reasons to believe um what's happening but uh they're still almost kind of treat or, or she's still almost being treated just like a normal girl trying to live mm-hmm. in these times and uh i thought that was kind of a cool aspect of it too yeah um, because she did because she develops a tolerance to something that usually you know is detrimental to vampires i'll save it for the spoiler section but because she develops a tolerance over the first 10 years it's it makes it easier for her to kind of walk amongst the humans and maybe not have to deal with those accusations all the time you know uh i i thought that was kind of a cool original little thing to do too it, it rubbed it kind of rubbed me the wrong way the first time I saw it. But as the movie went along, I was like, OK, I, I guess I can accept it. And then once we get the actual ending, um, it almost brings the whole thing full circle, which, uh, you know, worked for me, totally worked for me. So, yeah. Let's get into this, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Well, this will be a quick walkthrough. I mean, it's not much of a walkthrough because it's such a slow film. A lot of the scenes kind of are extended, you know, a lot of talking scenes and things like that. So uh, the basic gist is, you know, our movie opens in 1876. We see a little girl who is uh, part of a kind of a girl's orphanage, if you will, run by nuns in uh, northern Spain. Uh, Like I said, it's 1876. Uh, The movie lets us know that it's the end of the Third Carlist War. Um, If anyone is interested, the Third Carlist War um, happened during 1872 to 1876. And it's basically it's a war where where um, two factions were trying to get control of of, uh, Pamplona, of Pamplona, Spain. Uh, For various reasons, you know, King Philip V was involved in this, uh, Queen Elizabeth II, um, you you know, so, I mean, there's a deep story here. I would say look it up if you're interested in, you know, old, old wars, but um, it is basically a war for control of one particular town in northern Spain, uh, very much like, um, what do you call it, Cinco de Mayo. A lot of people think that Cinco de Mayo is Mexican Independence Day. It's absolutely not. It's just a commemoration of a single battle that occurred in a single town in northern Mexico near the Texas border. Um, I forget the exact town, but, um, you know, so that's the misconception there with uh, Cinco de Mayo that, you know, kind of could be, uh, you know, because this thing is called a war and it was a war. I mean, there was an absolute um, you know, warlike effort to take control of Pamplona. But 
you know, uh, war might be a little bit of a misnomer, at least based on what we look at as war. I mean, because this thing wasn't the World War Two or anything, you know, Vietnam or Korea, anything at all like that. But uh, definitely a, a, a centralized kind of localized war for control of this one town. So there you go. That's your history lesson for today. Um, so, like I said, the opening scene, we see these girls at some kind of girls school or orphanage run by nuns. Um, a bomb or something hits the uh, the church or the building that they're in. I think it's a church. They are all in the basement hiding from the action. But unfortunately, a bomb does end up going through the ceiling and killing everyone in that room, except for our girl, the girl that we're following. Um, what we see is we see a dark figure uh, dressed in black, uh, like in a black shawl or blanket type thing. Basically walk up to our, our heroine and say, I can save you, but you really have to want this. Now, this is one of the problems that I had with the film is that, and obviously as a horror movie viewer, you know already this girl is kind of screwed because she's going to be a 10-year-old girl the rest of her damn life. But the vampire doesn't say that to her. She basically just says, I can save you, I can heal your wounds but you'll have to really want it like from the bottom of your heart. Yeah. I, I think that's irresponsible. Well, it's, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting mm -hmm. decision because usually uh, similar scenarios have happened in other movies, but usually they'll kind of like dangle the carrot, but also tell them like, however, if mm -hmm. you do this, just know that blah, 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 blah. And then they make their informed decision. But this one, it's like, well, you're telling a dying person that, they really want to have. They really want to uh, want to survive, and it's like, well, who's not going to say yes? <laughs> Obviously, yeah. I mean, it's very similar to what Louis did to uh, Anna Paquin's character in Interview with the Vampire, basically turning her into a vampire as a child, but you not. Mean Kirsten telling Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. I'm very sorry. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in like 20 years. God, All white girls. I haven't seen movie. it forever. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I mean, you know, it's very similar to that. He kind of turned her into a vampire to save her life without telling her you're going to be a 10 year old girl the rest of your damn life. And of course, we get that famous scene later in Interview with the Vampire where she has a complete meltdown because she understands that I'm 10 for the rest of my goddamn existence. So, yeah, instantly that makes me not like this vampire in our movie, All the Moons, you know, to not tell this girl, because at least let her make an informed decision. Yes, she's 10. You know, she can't make a decision like an adult, but at least let her know I can save you, but you're going to be 10 the rest of your life. Are you OK with that? So, you know, a, a, a little bit of an issue there, but nothing major, obviously. Um, in this world, too, uh, this vampire um kind of explains to our little girl that you can only turn one person into a vampire. That's something a little bit new to the vampire lore that I've never heard before. Yeah, so basically, I was going to bring that up, too. I've never heard of anyone only being able to turn one. Exactly. You know, and, and, yeah. and the funny thing is, too, is that you don't turn them by biting them in this movie. You turn them by having them drink your blood. Um, I mean, I, I know that's a pretty that's usually the the trope is. I bite you, but you drink from my wound. I, exactly. I know that that's the, the traditional trope. So, yeah, to one, bring up the concept, but then also to skip the I'm going to bite you factor. I, I think it's pretty unique and pretty clever. 
Yeah, absolutely. I will definitely give the movie its props for the original, you know, um, thoughts that they brought to the film and to the vampire lore. Like I said, anytime I can see something new in a, in a horror film that actually works, I will absolutely accept it. So yeah, very, very cool decision there. So like I said, after, after being turned into a vampire, unfortunately that very first night of our girl being a vampire, uh, the vampire coven, uh, which is very small. It's only about six to eight vampires living in this coven, but basically they end up getting attacked by the villagers uh, the villagers come through and they basically, you know, uh, torch all the vampires or they just pull them out into the sun, pulling their blankets off and letting them die from exposure. Um, uh, the woman, uh, the vampire who I think. I, I do like that blanket gimmick. So, yeah, the they fact that they use can actually blanket. go out. Yeah, I, I, that was, I mean, that's not something wholly original. We've seen it before, but it is kind of cool, especially in that time period where like. Things like sunblock and sunglasses don't exist. They're just kind of using what they have. And um, I, I, w- I would never think a blanket uh, could completely block out the sun, but that's what they were implying in the movie. So I'm OK with it. Um, so, yeah, basically, we see all the vampires scatter, all of them covered with blankets. Some of them are caught and have their blankets pulled off. Um, the the female vampire who turns our little girl ends up getting shot and falls off a cliff. And that's the last time we see her. Uh, for a bit, um, and our little girl uh, ends up escaping. She she just runs away, runs, 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 uh, and she basically finds a cave. Uh, basically, that next morning, uh, when the sun comes out, she realizes that the sun is hurting her um, pretty badly. So she finds a cave that a ferret is living in. She ends up killing the ferret, drinking the ferret's blood, and then spending the next 10 years in this cave. Yes, 10 years go by. Of course, she hasn't aged at all. She's obviously way dirtier than she was. Um, And and the thing is, too, is I I was really careful to kind of look at things like the length of her hair and the length of her nails. And they were absolutely uniform throughout the whole film. So that was pretty cool. Um, And in that 10 years, and this is what I was talking about uh, earlier during the non-spoiler section where I said she develops a tolerance. Uh, What this little girl does is over the 10 years that she's living in that cave, every morning when the sun comes out, she'll go to the entrance of the cave and she'll stick out a different body part of hers. Uh, Obviously, she starts with the hands. She does her feet. She does her back, her face. um, And she does this every morning. I'm not sure if this is just something to kind of preoccupy her time or if she has some kind of plan. I don't know what a 10 year old could possibly be planning. Uh, Well, at this point, she's 20, I guess, mentally. (laughs) Uh, But what ends up happening is one morning she gets up and she sticks her hand out of the cave and there's no damage to her hand. No sizzle, no no burn, no nothing. So then she walks out of the cave completely in the morning sun and nothing. She's she is somehow built up a tolerance to the sun. Um, like I said, I'm not sure if that was her plan or if that was just a happy coincidence that since she was burning herself every day, like I said, I mean, she's living in a cave in, in, you know, in the late 1800s. So it's not like there's a whole lot for a girl that age to do, you know? Um, so, you know, like I said, happy coincidence or, or major or thought out plan, either way you go, it's kind of genius, honestly. Um, I, again, something that we, I, I think we saw something along that those lines in that movie called Daybreakers. Do you remember that? 
or wait, was it Daybreakers? Was that the name of that vampire movie where they had developed a cure for vampires? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think that's it. Me, um, William Dafoe. Yes, William Dafoe. Yes. Yeah, okay, because uh, the other one I was thinking of that was kind of similar was one called Perfect Creature, but I don't think that would have been big enough for you to guys have mentioned that. Yeah. I, I, I think it is Daybreaker. I think it is Daybreakers, but um, I'm also thinking yeah. of another one called Perfect Vampire, which is kind of similar to what you're describing, but I haven't seen either in too long, so uh, I'm probably just going to say Daybreakers. Yeah, like I said, I only saw it the one time in the theater because that was a theatrical release, and the wife and I went to see it because we basically – see my wife is a huge vampire fan so you know we go see all theatrical vampire releases generally and it was a decent movie i mean i've never watched it again but i i remember walking out of the theater thinking it was okay it was fairly action-packed blah 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 but anyway yeah the whole thing with curing um any aspects of vampirism um definitely not the most original idea but to see this little 10 year old girl uh, figure out a way to do it over a 10 year span. I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, like I said, uh, she is now, you know, it's now 10 years after she was turned into a vampire and she's just kind of walking around aimlessly. Obviously things have changed in those 10 years. The war is over. Uh, there's more people living in the village. Uh, she eventually goes into the village at night and ends up, as I mentioned earlier, getting caught in a bear trap. Um, basically this farmer, um, I forget his name. Oh, God. Everybody. What was the name of the Candido, the cheesemaker? Yes, Candido. Uh, so Candido basically finds um, this girl in his bear trap in his garden. He had set the trap for coyotes or wolves. Uh, basically, uh, there was a rash of wolves um, eating the chickens from a lot of the nearby farms. So he had set up that bear trap. Um, eventually the little girl gets caught in the trap, but she does not scream because you know, obviously she's a vampire, but there is a noise like alarm on the trap. Like there's these little bells on it that, so as she's trying to get out of it, it's shaking these bells. Uh, Candido comes out of his house and finds this little girl in the trap instantly. You know, he thinks, holy shit, she's going to die thinking that it's just a human 10 year old girl in a bear trap. That thing's going to pretty much cut her leg off in most cases, but he's able to get her out of the bear trap. Uh, there's no broken bones and the wounds on her legs are not bleeding. They're open sores, but they're not bleeding. It looks like it's already starting to heal. Um, I'm not sure if Candido makes the connection right away. It doesn't seem like he does, but you know, maybe he does and he's just kind of being coy about the whole thing. But uh, what ends up happening is the next day uh, he goes on his cheese run, if you will, since he is the local cheesemaker. He basically brings wheels of cheese to uh, local villagers in exchange for things like chickens and bread and, you know, whatever other people might make. It's definitely like a, uh, you know, um, a, not a barter system. What am I? There's a word I'm thinking of where everybody just kind of works, uh, you know, for the community. And they all just share everything that they have. A commune type situation, I guess. Um, um, and while he's doing his cheese run and going to all the different houses, he's basically asking them, do you know of anybody who lost a little girl? This little girl showed up at my house last night, blah, blah, blah. And um, obviously no one in the town knows what's going on. But um, the people in the town start talking about how great it is that he found this little girl because as it turns out, um, and here's the connection to Titan I was talking about. As it turns out, Candido lost his wife in childbirth. 
And then he lost his daughter as a teenager in some sort of accident. I'm not sure if they really get into it in the movie, but basically she ends up dying at a young age, leaving Candido alone, um, you know, and heartbroken. Obviously, he's lost the only two things that he cares about in his life. Um, So, you know, people in the town are like almost happy for him at first that he found this little girl like they smile and everything. They're they're kind of happy. But then, then. uh, what ends up happening is we get a scene in the church and uh, leading up to the scene at the church, basically every day Candido tries to get. Uh, oh, and by the way, at this point it is where he names her Amia. Um, I, I, we don't ever find out her actual name. So for all intents and purposes, that's going to be her name moving forward in the film. It's Amia or Amia, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um so basically leading up to that scene at the church, um, every day he tries to get her to eat, to eat normal human food, milk, soups and things like that. He makes her garlic soup, which actually looks really good considering it's 1886. I love garlic soup. But anyway, um, he tries to get her to eat at no point. I did find it kind of funny that he's trying to get a little vampire girl to eat garlic soup, but. I, I was like half waiting for her to actually try a little bit of it and ha- watch her tongue like burn or something. But nope, no, no such luck. Uh, she basically just refuses the food. And at every turn, she refuses the food that she's offered. She ends up going to church one day with Candido and has a little bit of a episode after taking uh, the Eucharist. Um, those who aren't religious, it, it's when you get that little cookie, that little wafer. Uh, that they call the body of Christ, or in this movie, Corpus Christi, because apparently they're fans of Texas. Um, So we get uh, a scene where she takes the body of Christ, which seems like she should burst into flame instantly. But what she ends up doing is she doesn't chew or swallow. She ends up spitting out uh, the Eucharist later. And then that's when she meets her little friend, her little uh, the, a boy from the neighborhood. I don't remember his name, unfortunately, but uh, they get along, you know, fairly quickly. Like he basically just tells her, you know what you did is a mortal sin, right? Cause he catches her spitting out the Eucharist outside. Um, but then from that comment, it, it just turns into a whirlwind relationship where they're suddenly spending a lot of time together. Uh, they do eventually share a kiss, um, you know, after, a a few days of kind of hanging out together. And then we get the scene in the church that is kind of a turning point for Candido and Amia. Uh, Basically uh, she, she goes up for um, the Eucharist again. Uh, She takes it, but this time she has, this time she actually decides to swallow. I don't know why, but I mean, she's obviously, uh, she she's trying to be human. Like she, she understands that she's different. She may not completely understand what about her is different, but she understands that she's not like everyone else, but she wants to be um, to the point where even later in the film, she'll actually go to the local priest and admit what she is and says that she wants help. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit here, but anyway, um, she ends up swallowing the Eucharist and she has a violent reaction right there in the church And uh, she basically just starts yelling, I need blood. I need blood. Um, She's saying this in front of the entire congregation in the middle of Sunday mass. Uh, Candido basically grabs her and just pulls her out of the church instantly before anybody can react to that statement. But at this point, 
uh, the people of the neighborhood are starting to understand what this little girl is. You know, no one's ever seen her eat. Uh, you know, uh, she she rarely talks. I mean, for the most part, she only talks to Candido, her little boyfriend, and uh, like I said later on, the priest, uh, the local priest. But um, what ends up happening is after that episode at the church, Candido ends up taking her home. Uh, Candido has a goat farm. He makes his cheese out of goat milk. Um, so he ends up um, draining blood from one of his goats and giving her a bowl of it, which pretty much instantly rejuvenates her. Um, but she realizes at that moment, she realizes that I will never be able to stay here with him like this. Eventually, the townspeople are going to come after me and indirectly, they're going to come after him, too. Because he's going to protect me, you know, because he's obviously developed a bond with this girl at this point. Uh, so what ends up happening, like I said, she ends up going to the church, asking the priest, I need help. I want to be human again. Um, the word vampire is never spoken in this movie, which is one of the things I actually like about it. It's very obvious what she is, you know, um, from right from the start. It's very obvious. But the fact that they don't really, you know, um, kind of jam that concept down your throat is a, a welcome change. So um, basically what ends up happening is the priest and some of the other higher members of the congregation start performing. It, it almost looks like an exorcism. I'm not exactly sure what they were trying to do, but it looks like the opening stages of an exorcism. But then at that moment, Candido walks in and he's he doesn't understand what they're trying to do. He thinks that they're trying to hurt her or something along those lines. And he basically just violently tears her out of there and takes her home. And, you know, basically is like, no, you're not going to do this to this little girl. Uh, you're not going to use my pain against me because obviously Candido is living with the loss of his wife and his you know natural daughter. And here's this town now trying to take away this little girl that's kind of filling in the void of his natural daughter. So Candido is very against it, takes her home. And um, and then <laughs> and then we get another time jump, which this time I think it had to be close to 30 years, maybe more. Because what ends up happening is uh, Candido and um, Amia are still together. But Candido is old. He looks like an octogenarian at this point. He looked like he was maybe 40 or 50 at the oldest um, before. But now, you know, he's wrinkled. He's gray. He's having trouble walking. And he's definitely coming to the end of his life. Um, there's a very emotional scene where, unfortunately, you know, Candido kind of uh, dies of natural causes. Um um, Amia obviously is very emotional. She's talking about how you promised you would be with me forever, which, you know, it's kind of a promise that, you know, normal humans can't keep. But he still made that promise to her, maybe not really understanding what she was at the time or how immortal she actually is. But um, unfortunately, Candido ends up dying. And at that moment, um, her, the, the, the woman, the vampire who turned her kind of makes a reappearance. Suddenly she's back and she doesn't actually go to Candido's house. It, it's almost like she kind of senses her in the area because she ends up going to a cave, uh, a, a nearby cave, not the same cave that she spent 10 years in, but just another nearby cave and ends up finding the woman ends up, you know, walking in, calling out to her and she comes out and it's actually her looking exactly the way she did at the beginning of the movie. No new injuries or anything like that. 
Um, she is obviously very happy to see the little girl, but the little girl is just adamant that she no longer wants to be what she is. She wants, um, I, I think her exact words were, I want you to, you know, give me your kiss again, because, um, the way they, you know, the way that she looked at it was it was the woman's kiss who made her into a vampire the first time. So her mentality is that if she does it again, maybe either A, she'll die completely or B, she'll go back to being a human. Uh, what ends up happening is um, the the vampire, the vampire female does end up giving her a kiss. And we see Amia kind of go through this little weird not transition. I, it's not like a very obvious transition, but you kind of see that she's going through stuff in her head. Like she closes her eyes and blah, blah, blah. And she feels like, well, now that um, she's taken care of me, I'm either going to die or live on as a human. She basically forces um, this woman, uh, the female vampire out into the sun. It is morning time, by the way. Uh, forces her out in the sun, and this is where we get probably our most horror um, scene, where she basically bursts into flame. Really good-looking flame, too. Like, you know, for CGI flame, it actually looks really nice. Um, the shot, too, is really nice, because it's, like, on, on a mountainside, and, like, the cave opening is on the mountainside. And there's a long shot where we see the body kind of burning from the distance. It's just a really, really nice shot um, that I wanted to point out. And at this point, once the older female vampire is just burnt out to a crisp and she is very thoroughly dead, um, Amia basically just jumps into a lake thinking, well, you know, I, I just want to die anyway. So she jumps into the lake, hoping that the lake will just take her. But when, what ends up happening is she she's in the lake for a while and she doesn't die, but she starts to struggle with her breathing. Now think about that for a sec, folks. Vampires don't need to breathe. Um, when she makes the realization that she's having struggle, that she's having a struggle breathing underwater, she starts to swim up towards the surface. And then she realizes uh, that she's no longer a vampire. Uh, she is, at least this is my interpretation, mind you. I could be wrong, but my interpretation is that this movie has a happy ending. And how often do we get a happy ending in a very serious vampire movie? It's almost non-existent. So uh, basically our movie ends with Amia walking out of the lake with a big old smile on her face, because like I said, as I interpret it, she's making the realization that she's once again, human and will be able to live, um, you know, her own normal life and then the movie ends letting us know that it is now 1936 and that the Spanish Civil War has just begun. So this movie is kind of uh, bracketed uh, by two different wars in northern Spain. And it just kind of shows how war is basically just a way of life in, in that region during this time period. Uh, just if you look up Spanish history, there was a lot of war in the 17, 18, and uh, 1900s, early part of the 1900s, a lot of war going on in Spain. It, part of the reason why the, uh, Spain had the world's strongest armada for, for a good amount of time. Um, that was kind of their claim to fame, the strongest navy in the world for a long time. But um, And that's pretty much the end of our film. Uh, we basically just see Amia kind of walk off into the distance now having her, you know, human self return to her. And I guess she's just off to now 
live the life of a 10 year old who actually has the mind of a 60 year old. So there you go. That is all the moons. Technically 2020 in Spain, it was released on Christmas day in 2020 in Spain, but we just got our release here in the U S uh, thanks to shutter last week. So, um, so it'll count for our 2022 list and uh, yeah, there you go. It's, it's a very subtle movie as Don mentioned earlier, not a lot of action, not a lot of horror set pieces, um, but it's a really, really good story, in my opinion. It's a nice story with a lot of originality to the, uh, that it gives to the vampire lore. And like I said, that that happy, almost hopeful ending uh, is just very refreshing for a vampire movie. You know, to see this little girl, you know, get turned into a vampire kind of against her will 50 years earlier, but then to now... Um, you know, be able to go and live a normal life. It's kind of reassuring. It's refreshing. So let's look at that. I mean, it does kind of play in somewhat. If you pay, if you pay attention, it does pay, um, play into traditional tropes. Uh, You kill the master, you, you know, you undo everything that they do. So the woman who turned her dies, she's um, her curse is lifted. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I was, I was trying to figure out because I, I definitely agree at the end not just yeah i think by her actions and then the dialogue about how i can finally feel it hurts it hurts a lot but i'm embracing the fear i think is what it's something along those lines i definitely have the same interpretation that it looks like she's no longer a vampire so she's getting like the pain reaction and probably just the freezing cold water is making her yeah i forgot Um, to mention yeah that the dialogue does kind of support that theory because she talks about how i feel cold i feel pain i've never felt uh pain like this so yeah yeah, and I, I think the only um, the only thing further to break down is kind of what Don mentioned. Are they going with the trope of if if the person who turned me like I, I'm tied to them, so if they perish, which was actually a pretty cool scene too. Even though I mean there was some CGI involved in it, especially once they showed the face, but I still felt like when the hand was slowly turning red and blistering and I thought that looked pretty cool. But um, as far as whether, you know, it's because of her turning or excuse me, the, the, the lady who turned her perishing, that means she uh, is relinquished from the curse of being a vampire. Does it have to do with like uh, any of the religious ceremony? Like I, I I'm thinking that Don's correct, that they're going with the, uh, if, if the master or the person who turns you perishes, you return to being a human. That To me, yeah. it makes the most sense given the events of the movie leading up to that point. And yeah, I, I thought it was a, a cool ending. And it was a little sad um, with the, the the guy who's her caretaker. And the, the line of dialogue that was really <laughs> harsh in a good, like the good emotional way when he's like, oh, oh man, I can't remember exactly what he said, but they were, you know, he was on his deathbed and, you know, she, her being a 10-year-old kid, obviously she's sad that he's going to die. And he says something along the lines of, like, something about uh, heaven. And he's like, oh, I, now I know that, like, heaven can fit in my hand because she's holding his hand as he's, like, yeah. about to die. And I was like, oh, that's not what a sweet little line. <laughs> no, it's a really, I mean, it's a really sweet little movie and a nice little relationship with these two, you know. Him obviously being forgiving of the fact that she's a vampire, you know, once he makes the realization of what she is, 
Um, you know, he's obviously very forgiving because, you know, the aforementioned holes in his life, you know. Yeah. Well, they spend, you know, they, spend 30, they spend 30 years together and she hasn't aged. So I'm pretty sure that there has to have been some realization that they, you know, what's going on between the two of them could have been a secret. Oh, yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I think the fact that he's accepting of it at the end of the day regardless and he's just like you know i'm gonna take care of you anyway until he can't anymore which is when he passes yeah 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 that's uh definitely one of the biggest curses of vampirism everyone around you dies and you just keep living yeah it's gotta suck mm-hmm. well, sucks, vampires ha 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 no pun intended <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for all, all the moons and uh, this episode. But let's find out what we are up to and if there's anything new. So, Venom, I'll kick it to you first. Um, Nothing really new since we recorded last. Um, still, Creature Comforts Episode 5 is the latest one there available. We talk about 1966's uh, The Island of Terror, starring Peter Cushing. Um the main show, we will finally be recording a second episode of the year um, this coming Sunday where we're going to look at my picks. Um, we're going to look at some. It's obviously the month of Va Valentine's Day and, you know, love and things like that. So I wanted to kind of find some movies that weren't the obvious ones that weren't like audition and the loved ones and things like that. So um, we ended up going with. um Ooh, you guys are finally going to do a Serbian film? <laughs> yeah, we'll save that for next Valentine's Day. Oh, that could be a Christmas episode, maybe. Hmm, we'll see. Um, but yeah, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a look at um, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night from Iraq and Thirst, which, oh, I love Thirst. Uh, so that's going to be, you know, the story of a priest who gets turned into a vampire. Oh, how satisfying is that? Um, so yeah. Gonna be uh, looking at those two films on the next episode of No More Room in Hell, and that's about it for me, Mike. Nothing else on the uh, In the Mike of Madness front or Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. Just a lot of No More Room in Hell. <laughs> All right, Don. What about you? All right. So um, as you mentioned, uh, Creature Comforts. Um, that episode is available. Uh, my latest show, The Horror Countdown, we took a look at um, our favorite post-2000 indie films. So uh, I'll basically consider, you know, uh, Ghost House Pictures, the uh, After Dark Film Festivals kind of stuff. Um, that's pretty much like where we, uh, where me, uh, um, where the uh, show kind of uh, settled in on. So uh, if you're interested in that, go ahead and check that out. It should be on all of the available podcatchers and stuff like that. Uh, in terms of guest spots, I can uh, finally confirm all three of the ones in case uh, you've been paying attention in the last few weeks. Um, I will be on the Dark Parade with Bo looking at uh, the Vampire Doll, which uh, we will be recording tomorrow as of the night we're recording this. Uh, I will guest on The Horror Returns. Um, we are going to be doing a March Madness Best of Exploitation Roundtable. So kind of uh, fitting that I was uh, involved in that. I, I, I wish I remember who they were, who I'm going to be doing the show with, because they said there's going to be like four or five of us. So um, I, I think Derek is going to be on, but I don't remember who the other 
the other ones are. Maybe it's friends of theirs, and I don't don't recognize their names, so that they never stuck or something. But I I I, I wish I could say more, but um. Like I said, I, I don't remember who they said were is going to be involved, but um, I'm going to be involved in that. And I will guest on a, a friend's show of mine, um, The House That Screams, um, kind of taking their name after a, a famous Spanish horror film, so uh, good on them. But um, I will be joining them for a look at Suspiria. So that's going to be a fun time, kind of a crossover, because one of the hosts, um, I ended up recording with them um, over the weekend, and uh, we were able to get the uh, episode with my guest guest appearing, guest appearing on them sorted out there. So uh, those are going to be, uh, th- the last two are going to be, um, I would imagine, in March or later just because uh, they're not going to be recorded until then, but um, be on the lookout for those when they appear. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, Dark Parade should be out uh, the end of the month, if I remember Bo, if I remember what Bo said at the end of that. So, yeah, that's uh, pretty much all that I got going on. Just, uh, you know, tons of stuff for my show. So, nice. Cool. Cool. Um, as far as I go, yeah, New More Room in Hell is coming up Sunday, hopefully. Looks like everybody's on board as of now, so um, hopefully that'll be happening. And the only other thing I got uh, later this week, I'm recording with Bo. Um, I'm going to be talking about The Gate, uh, the 80, what is it, like 87 or something in there like that. What are you, uh, 10 years old? <laughs> Shoot, uh, that w- when it actually released, I was probably seven, but uh, um, <laughs> probably saw it about eight or nine. But I have an f- interesting story I'll say for that show uh, about the first time I saw it. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I'll be talking about that for I, I believe it's for the Dark Parade. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I know Bo always has so much stuff going on <laughs> that you know I could get it wrong, but yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's Dark Parade. And other than that. I have a pretty clean slate as well. Um, yeah, 2022. Not, I'm trying to keep it from being overwhelming at this time, you know, with all the family stuff I got going on all the time. But mm-hmm. um, as far as Fresh Cuts goes, I shoot, I think we're going to be doing VOD again. Is there anything coming out this Friday? Uh, yeah, I think we're going down. We're going on down to Texas. Oh, mm-hmm. the Netflix That's Texas Chainsaw yep. yep. Massacre. Yep, uh, okay. Thursday, right? I believe so. Yeah, Thursday or Friday. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I had originally seen something called The Privilege that dropped on Netflix yesterday, actually, mm-hmm. that I was going to bring to the table. But then when I saw Texas Chainsaw uh, is out this week, that that's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, if yeah. It's, if it's this week, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's going to be. Um, as he mentioned, uh, a no doubter. Yep. As oh, a, for sure. So get your I barbecue just, and chainsaw. Totally, it totally spaced in my head that that was this week. So, yep. yep. And if I correct me if I'm wrong, but this is like a retcon sequel, right? A direct sequel to the original. Direct sequel to the original. Yep. That'll be interesting. <laughs> we'll see. Yay. We'll see how they handle it. <laughs> Such an original concept. Yeah, where have we seen that in the last couple of weeks? <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious because it's like if it's a direct sequel, 
to the original, I hope it's just not like laser focused on just Leatherface. That's like my biggest fear. But um, I don't know. You know, I, it, it gets a chance to hear everything else. I, mm. I can't say I was too impressed with the trailer I saw, but that doesn't always mean anything. You know, that, it, that it, you can't 100% go by that. So, yeah, it's going to get a chance just like anything else. So, yeah, next week we'll be talking TCM sequel, I guess. I, uh, Mike, I assume you watched the game yesterday, right? Oh, I did. Yep. Did you see the trailer for Nope? Yeah, I had actually. So I think uh, was it Friday? It might have dropped uh, earlier in the weekend. Yeah, but um, you know, people know I don't watch trailers, but you know, it was the Super Bowl and it came on, and I didn't feel like changing the channel, so I just watched it. But the thing is, that's how you do a trailer. Oh, they cut they cut it great. The way they don't give you any information. I loved it. Thank you. Yeah, and the interesting thing too is like, um, if you look, if you look at like like the cast on IMDb, even the trailer, like there's some like significant names that didn't even really get. I mean, it, maybe if I rewatched the trailer and really focused on every little snippet, maybe they showed up. But for the most part, there was like a lot of no names, known names yeah. that uh, didn't even get any screen time. So they really kept it vague and just kind of. You know, they kind of gave you a backdrop for where it's going to take place, like what kind of region. Yeah. But other than that, it's not a whole lot, which is good. That's how they yeah, do it. That's how to do a trailer. That if trailers were more like that, I would keep. I would. I would go back to watching them. But obviously, nine times out of ten, they're not that vague. So I can't. Yeah, I want to say A twenty four does pretty good with that's true their too. Trailers. Yeah. Uh, very um, true. So yeah, they. I don't know if they outsource them or if they handle it in-house, but whatever they're doing, keep doing it. (laughs) Yep. So, yeah. All right. Well, we will be back in a week. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Let's say bye, listeners. Buenas noches, señoras y señores. Later. Peace.